Hey, Monica. We had the most amazing conversation last week with Jeff Catch, the Chief Impact Officer at Rodale Institute. Yes. So for those who may not know, Rodale Institute is widely recognized as the founder of the modern organic agriculture movement and the certification you see on your veggies. Their mission is to expand organic regenerative practices through research, education, and farmer training. And in his role, Jeff oversees the partnerships and programs that help Rodale achieve those goals. Rodale is really on the cutting edge of research of organic farming, and Jeff is an absolute wealth of information. We go pretty deep into this episode, talking about everything from Rodale's research into soil health and nutrition to organic and regenerative standards, even into carbon sequestration. It was so fascinating. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Jeff Catch. Well, Jeff, how are you? We're so happy to have you here on Biophilic Solutions. I am great, Jennifer. It's such an honor to be here today. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Oh, we're thrilled. We're thrilled. I'm going to start by saying you might hear a little background noise because I'm back in my New York City apartment and there's some traffic outside. So I just want to put that out there. Monica, how are you today? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here at Serenby. Um, And Jeff, you actually just landed um, from Pennsylvania. Literally just landed, and I feel like I was transported to another world, into a, um, to a world that I always look forward to arriving at. Well, we love having you here, and I know um, we're going to learn a lot about Rodale and what you're doing here in the Southeast, as well as I've heard we're going to talk about some vegetables today. I cannot so, wait to get into the vegetable conversation. I know. I know. So give us just a tiny little touch about your background and your work at Rodale, what you're doing right now and your role. Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been with the Rodale Institute for four years. I serve as uh, the chief impact officer of the organization I'm on the, lead- the core leadership team. And I oversee all the external operations, all the all the parts of Rodale Institute that touch the outside world and that are measured through our impact. Um, it's a very humbling honor to do that work. And Monica, you and I have known each other in other iterations. Um, my journey to this work uh, was a bit of a, circ- a circuitous route, a route, I guess you could say. And uh, uh, started working through the publishing industry um, on and off for about 16 years. And through that work, um, connected with the work of Rodale Institute in a roundabout way. Um, mm-hmm. I had the rare honor of serving on the board of directors of the Rodale Institute for about a year and a half um, before falling madly in love with the work and begging the board to give me a job. So um, I've been with them full time, as I mentioned, and uh, for four years, and it's been an incredible experience so far. I love it. Well, and you guys opened, Rodale opened um, multiple research centers across the country over the past year or so. And one of them is just up the street, um, the Southeastern Research Center at a beautiful farm called Manifold. And I know you're here this week to do a lot of um, outreach and partnerships and discussions. Um, But um, really what we want to talk about, you know, because this is the Biophilic Solutions podcast is Mm -hmm. soil today. Mm, Awesome. Um, My favorite topic. Yeah. I know, I know. And um, Jennifer and I were just talking before you got on that, um, you know, Jennifer, what is it? Uh, healthy soil? Soil health is uh, human health, correct? Is that what you kind of talk about, Jeff? Um, yeah, actually, I, that's our mission. So the mission statement of Rodale Institute was written by our founder uh, 75 years ago. J.I. Rodale said that healthy soil equals healthy food equals mm. healthy people. So that's really been the guiding thesis of our work for over seven decades. It's pretty profound. That is profound. You guys um, really founded the term organic, right? And, and uh, J.I. Rodale, yeah, in, in, in the current vernacular, uh, J.I. Rodale was credited for coining the term organic as it's used today. 
that happened around May of 1942, where he, where he, he coined the term organic agriculture as a production mm-hmm. method for producing food. Mm-hmm. And touch on, because I think it's everywhere right now, the term regenerative mm-hmm. um, is something that everybody's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that's something that you guys are also working very hard to sort of um, put a surround around that as far as agriculture. Can you touch on that for a minute? Yeah, well, it's rare when there's a such a visionary founder as there was in J.I. Rodale. And then to have a next generation uh, in his son, Robert Rodale, who was, in my opinion, even more visionary. So imagine J.I. Rodale coined the term organic as it relates to agriculture in the 1940s. Um, in the 1970s, his son, Robert Rodale, became the leader of the Rodale Institute and was a world traveler. So he spent a lot of time in um, third world countries. He spent a lot of time in Africa and Asia. And mm-hmm. as he would travel around, um, the word sustainability was coming into, uh, into vogue at, at that time. And he hated that word sustainability. And the reason he hated the word sustainability was because, you know, imagine he was this agricultural leader traveling around to these countries where uh, the agricultural regions had become so desertified because Mm. of soil mismanagement and because of ecological destruction uh, that he felt to himself, as I look around and I hear the word sustainability, I think to myself, there's nothing here to sustain. Uh, uh, what 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 at, at, mm-hmm. the, at the soil level of these broken agricultural systems, everything needs to be regenerated. And he became enamored by this idea of regeneration or regenerative agriculture. And the way Bob Rodale saw it was if we as farmers focus all of our efforts and energies on rebuilding the soil, the health of the soil, mm-hmm. then the crops grown in that soil will get healthier. The people consuming those crops, they'll get healthier, too. By the way, the farmer who's growing those crops, their bottom line is going to improve. And if their bottom line improves, then guess what? The community is going to flourish economically. And so everything in an agricultural system rooted and grounded in healthy soil, everything in that system regenerates. It's mm. like it's like a ripple out effect. And so Bob Rodale coined the term regenerative agriculture. And today, uh, some 40 years later, Rodale Institute has come forth with a new, the highest bar standard in agriculture called the Regenerative Organic Certification. So Rodale Institute has actually put a standard behind the word regenerative. We're the first to do that. Mm. And so it's a very humbling and exciting time for us in our history. I love that. There's also something I know you talk about a lot um, in your business is about what is hidden hunger. Mm. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about what is hidden hunger and what barriers prevent most Americans from accessing high quality organic food in their everyday lives, would you say? Yeah, well, as the soil goes, we go. And so what's mm-hmm. happened um, through the destruction and decimation of our agricultural systems over the last 50 to 70 years, primarily through the advent of industrial agriculture, chemical based agriculture, we have so degraded the health of our soil that the food we are eating today is lacking. So you could be well fed. Mm-hmm. but undernourished. That's this idea of hidden hunger, where we are not short on calories in this country, right? There's plenty of food to go around. Mm-hmm. It's just the kind of food we're eating is so de- devoid of nutrients because of the, the decimation and the depletion of our soils that we are walking around with hidden hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at Rodale Institute, we're working through it. Uh, we've just launched a study that Monica alluded to a moment ago. It's actually the first study of its kind in the world called the Vegetable Systems Trial. We call it VST. And this is the first study in the world that seeks to answer the question, is organic food truly more nutrient dense? Is it truly worth it? Why am I spending 
30, 40, 50% more to buy organic food uh, when in fact, no one has ever proven whether or not organic food is truly more nutritious. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we're setting out to do. And I think that this particular study of any scientific study we've ever done in our history, this one holds the most power. Because if we truly do find that organic food is more nutrient dense, well, that changes everything. That changes wow. everything mm-hmm. at the grocery store. So it's it's very exciting. And quickly, just to sort of touch real quickly back on the regenerative um, for our listeners, um, the difference between organic and regenerative as far as a certification would be. We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The (laughs) Biophilic Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So You can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Serum B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26th, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. Uh, well, so right now the USDA um, in the in the, in the USDA houses the standard for organic agriculture. Um, back in 1990, there was some legislation passed called the National Organic Production Act, hmm. and by 2002, we began to see that little USDA organic logo roll out on products on shelves across the country in grocery stores and on textiles. And um, and so for over 20 years, we've had an audited standard. Um, held under our U.S. government. And then so people, you know, often wonder, is organic, can you really trust it? And mm-hmm. when in fact, the reality is, yes, organic food, when you right. purchase it, it's one of the only, if not the only audited standards in our grocery store. So it's a very trustworthy thing, even though it's come under some criticism, criticism recently, by and large, it is something you can trust. Now, fast forward to today, many farmers are beginning to co-opt the word regenerative. They're, they're trying to bypass the organic certification. And they're, they're saying, well, I'm a regenerative farmer. Well, the sad reality is that the word regenerative in that sense has not actually been, there's no standard behind it until now. And so Rodale has, we've actually said it's, it's not enough just to be regenerative. It's not enough to be organic. We're setting the highest bar standard where a farmer should be both regenerative and organic. And so what's happening is a lot of large-scale farmers are beginning to embrace regenerative practices, which we applaud. 
we think it's mm -hmm. a great thing. Farmers are moving in the right direction by embracing regenerative agriculture. But in terms of an actual audited standard, it's not there yet. When, when will we see that in like our grocery stores? Uh, well, Rodale Institute um, officially launched the regenerative organic certification in partnership with uh, Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia and several, several other brands. That standard is housed under the, under the Regenerative Organic Alliance, and that product is on shelves. So today you can go to the grocery store, grocery store and find uh, Regenerative Organic Dr. Bronner's Coconut Oil. You can find mm -hmm. Regenerative Organic Rice Products. So there is a slew of products, and you can learn more at regenorganic.org for a okay, whole perfect. list of items there. And, and should we be demanding that of... Um... I don't want to say demanding. Should we be requesting that from our grocery stores or asking our farmers? Because because my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, um, you know, the regenerative takes into account the people. So people who are working on the farm and like, how are they being treated? Mm -hmm. The animals, if it's a, you know, how the animals are being treated on the farm and then the soil health where the organic maybe didn't take into those considerations. Well is that done, true? Monica. That's, oh, um, see, you taught you, me. <laughs> you, you, you nailed it, actually. Okay, so well, you taught me all that. Okay, good. I got it right. You, you did. So there's three pillars. Um, so, yes, under the organic certification, uh, the current USDA standard does not account for soil health. How is a farmer treating the health of the soil? Okay, great. The farmer is not using synthetic pesticides or herbicides, which we know are known carcinogens. They're destructive to the environment. That's great. We applaud any farmer that is certified organic. But to be a regenerative organic farmer, we're asking the farmer, how are you treating the soil? How are the animals in your, on, in your farming system being treated? Are they being trained, treated in a humane way? Are they given 24-7 access to pasture and to the outdoors? Mm -hmm. Are um, they being uh, handled properly? And then thirdly, what about the human beings working in these farming systems? How are they being uh -huh. treated? Are they being treated? Are they being paid a fair wage? Are they being given access to health care? Um, mm -hmm. Are they working normal hours or are they being uh, taken advantage of? So the regenerative organic certification asks those three questions above and beyond the organic standard. And yes, um, consumers should be demanding this product in the marketplace. And as they do, uh, the brands will have to respond. Mm -hmm. um, can I want to go back to what Jennifer asked you about sort of the hidden hunger and sort of the concept of if the soil is healthy and has nutrients in it, that mm -hmm. translates into the vegetables, which obviously we eat or the, you know, the food and then that then our body is taking in more nutrients. How, I want to get like a little wonky, like tell me a little more details about the vegetable system trial. Like how are you, how are you doing that research? Yeah. Um, well, this is, this is an interesting study for many, a myriad of reasons. So what it is, it's, it's a side-by-side -side comparison of organic, organically grown vegetables and conventionally grown vegetables. So we've essentially taken a several acre plot at Rodale Institute. Okay. Mm -hmm. The study is about four years old. So about four years ago, we, we designed this study. Uh, we have an advisory board uh, and we are trying to mimic conventional vegetable operations. So the way, the way that farmers are growing conventionally grown vegetables using synthetic pesticides and herbicides at scale, we've shrunken down into replicates and we've, we've got plots that are basically mimicking these large scale systems on a smaller plots that are more research driven. Mm -hmm. And then directly next to those plots, we've got organic plots. So, so, you know, plots of land that are growing the same exact vegetable, 
but using Rodale Institute's organic best practices. So mm. using cover crops, crop, you know, heavy crop and complex crop rotations, using integrated pest management to deal with mm. pest pressure, using organic methods. What's super interesting about this study is it's the first land at, so we've been on this farm, our main campus in Pennsylvania, we're on 333 acres and we've been on that land for over 40 years. So we've wow. been managing that soil using regenerative organic methods for four decades. Hmm. This particular study is the first area of the farm that we're actually going to be degrading a portion of the soil. Wow. So think about that. So after 40 years of not spraying synthetic pesticides and herbicides, now all of a sudden we're going to start spraying. We have started spraying these harmful chemicals in a very controlled uh, way. Now these uh -huh. are scientists that the sure. way that they apply these chemicals is done in a very, uh, not only a controlled way, but a very research-based way. So there's no drift and they're very careful to make sure it doesn't mm -hmm. right mix. With that was going to be my question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now we've watched in just a couple of years, we've actually watched how soil degrades and we, last year, we, um, you have to keep in mind, this research is very expensive. So just to do the analysis mm -hmm. of these five different vegetables. So we grow a root crop, a fruit crop, and a leaf crop. There's five different types of vegetables grown in the vegetable systems trial. We send those samples off to, uh, very sophisticated laboratories that have very expensive diagnostic equipment. And last year we sent off samples of purple potatoes. So these are, mm -hmm. these were a purple potato variety. Uh, some were grown synthetically or conventionally using chemicals and some were grown organically. And I happen to know the co-owner of the laboratory uh, called HRI labs in the Midwest, where we sent these samples. And Larry called me a mm -hmm. few weeks, at, uh, months before the data was published. I don't even know if the data has been published yet. Uh, uh, peer-reviewed. Okay. However, he anecdotally shared with me, he's like, he was astonished to, 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 to call me and tell me that, uh, what they found preliminarily was 26 phytonutrients, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, uh, amino acids in the organic potatoes that existed at levels of 100 to 700 times higher than the conventional. Wow. After four years, after what? four years, the purple potatoes grown organically had between 100 and 700 times higher the amounts of Nutrients, very, very tiny nutrients. These nutrients that we know safeguard us from cancers and from autism and autoimmune conditions. Oh, wow. So think about that. That's only after a couple of years. Where are we wow. going to be 20 years, 30 years? What are we going to learn in this study? Can you, right. can you imagine? Well, and you hear that, that nutrient density has declined over the past 70 ish years. Mm -hmm. um, but and I'm not, you know, I don't know where, I don't have the sighting of that. I'm sure you guys do on your website, but like, but this is showing that it's declining over just four years of doing conventional versus organic. Just four years. Exactly. And I mean, in, in, you know, 700 is a huge number. I mean, but, but I would not want my vegetables to be a hundred times less. Exactly. Effect, effective, if you will. <laughs> I mean, it's a, yeah. You know, you're no nutrients in your food. I mean, you think about like all the things you're eating, you're trying to eat well and the potatoes and the, and the kale or the carrots or whatever it might be. And, and you think you're doing well, you think you're doing good and you're not getting the nutrients to really survive and thrive in our bodies. And that's, that's scary. You think about yes. the autoimmune issues and also autism, like that's, um, it's a scary plate that we're in. Yes. Well, and I, I know that there's been a lot of discussion um, um, around, you know, the autoimmune and the autism with the um, 
the synthetic uh, pesticides too. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just that the potentially the vitamins and the amino acids are at a lower level, but it's what's being sprayed on the crops. Is, is that correct as well? Like that, we have a concern about that. In in some ways, it's a, it's a much larger, even greater concern. Is yes, okay. the the de- the deleterious effects of these harmful known carcinogenic synthetic pesticides and herbicides that are be, that are ubiquitous in our food and farming systems. You know, um, <laughs> actually, I, I thought of a, a story just now as you were talking about that, Monica. Sure. Um, you know, I we we work a lot with our state government here in uh, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is one of the leading producers of organic food in the nation. Uh, we're in the top three um, behind California. And so about six months ago, I was sitting in the state Capitol building in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with one of the top government legislators in in the state. And uh, we were sitting with him and his staff trying to demonstrate to him the power of the work that Rodale is doing right in our own state to help farmers uh, transition their farms to organic production. We ha- we're currently working, uh, our consultancy launched two years ago with a little bit of state funding. We, we got some money from our state because we have a very progressive governor who's beginning to see the future, which the future is organic. And mm-hmm. he's been investing in Rodale a little bit um, and so much so that we were able to launch a consultancy. And now we are offering free consulting to any farmer in our state that desires to go organic. And we had zero clients when we launched the consultancy on day one, less than 24 mm-hmm. months ago. And today we have over 140 farms in the state that have said, I want to transition to organic. And just wow. to give you some perspective, we're here in Georgia. I believe the total amount of organic farms in the state of Georgia is about 140. So in two years, we've got 140 new farms and Pennsylvania is on its way to having 1500 certified, certified organic farms. So I'm sitting in his office, this hallowed marbled, incredible office in our gorgeous state capitol building and we were talking about the work of Rodale institute he stops me mid-sentence and he said he said i don't i don't believe very much in that organic stuff he goes <laughs> in the county i come from which is a very agrarian county mm-hmm. he said uh, a carrot is a carrot potatoes are potatoes milk is milk and the room just went dead silent and he surveys the room. Now, knowing that Rodale sits on 40 years of science that would prove otherwise, he kind of like turns to his staff and he looks at their eyes. And I, I and all I can say was, do you really believe that? He's like, no, that was the stupidest thing I ever said. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and so we are, you know, living at a moment where that is very exciting to me because we are waking up to the fact that number one, we as humans, as a species have never lived in a time such as this, where we're so disconnected from farming that Mm -hmm. most people do believe that a carrot is a carrot, milk Mm -hmm. is milk, potatoes are potatoes. But now that Rodale is really looking under the hood into the soil um, and we begin to find answers to that question, I think that we're going to wake up to a whole new consciousness around where my food comes from and how that food was produced. Do you think COVID also had as a piece of that because of that time that we've had to reflect and we're actually spending more time in touch with nature um, this past year, maybe it's helping our eyes to be opened of what food actually looks like or should look like. Jennifer, I've never been more convicted that the last 24 months has um, accelerated transformational and positive change, unlike any other moment in recent history, you know, and during the pandemic, I remember it vividly. I remember the feeling of us all going into quarantine. It was an early spring. And it was almost like to the day, 
this sort of collective conscience in the United States was, let's start a garden, let's find mm-hmm. a farmer in our community. And would you believe that direct farm sales during the quarantine? So in other words, last spring, farmers, all of a sudden, their whole market was disrupted. Um, small scale organic farmers that normally would sell into high end restaurants, they overnight, they lost all their business. Mm-hmm. But almost to a day, you go to any small scale organic producer in this country, and people, consumers were literally driving up to the farm gate saying, how can I buy your, pro- your produce from you? And direct farm sales uh, skyrocketed 420% year over year. Wow. The National Gardening Association reported that 22 million new gardens were planted in America last year. 22 million. So now all of a sudden, what did we do? We have a global pandemic, which is okay. We have an, it, what it did expose is we've got a very unhealthy population. Mm-hmm. Yep. With 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 a lot of premorbidities and very weak immune systems. The second thing it did was it exposed, wow, we all of a sudden have a global supply chain that is frail and broken. Mm-hmm. Grocery mm-hmm. store shelves went bare. We and then consumers started asking, well, I better get healthy. I better stay healthy. The number one thing I can do is take control of my food. And so people took to their backyards. If they didn't do that, then they met a farmer in their community. And so I believe that this um has completely upended America's relationship with food for the better. Yes. I think that's great. Think about like the parallel of like healthcare systems in that kind of way, right? Of like, where's our food coming from? We better start looking right now because we're an unwell uh, country, really. Well, and it's interesting to think about, um, you know, why people choose organic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that we sort of, probably coincided a little bit with the uptick of just, you know, the availability and the certification because our kids were born in um, 2005, 2007, right? So that's maybe sort of the early days, if you will, Jeff. Um, And so we became more aware, not only for ourselves, but like we had these little bodies, right, that we were putting food into. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, that, that that becomes an interesting thing. I know that Wholesome Wave has done an amazing job with, um, you know, um, because obviously the price is, it can be higher. And so creating, um, equity and access at farmer's markets by, you know, doubling snap dollars, which is super cool at farmer's mm-hmm. markets. And, and, and I think, you know, the, the times that we go to somewhere amazing and have a real strawberry, like the mm-hmm. flavor or tomato in season, like the flavor profile is so amazing. Right. Um, But also, you know, I know on the website, you know, it really talks about how all of your decade long research, you know, beyond this current um, vegetable trial is like competitive yields, you know, and higher um, resiliency doing during drought. Tell us a little bit about that, talking about soil again. And, you know, people don't realize that um, with climate change, you know, organic has a huge benefit that we need to expand that. So can you talk a little bit about that and the goals with Rodale around the benefits of um, having organic agriculture versus conventional? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, you'll often hear sort of the, the storyline or the through line around organic agriculture in the mainstream is that organic certainly can't feed the world. It's a nice idea, but it, it can't be done at scale it's more expensive. Well, Rodale's and not just Rodale's, but many other highly respected uh, universities and the USDA 
have all done similar studies that would prove the contrary. So at Rodale, we actually sit on the longest running side-by-side comparison of organic and conventional grain crops in the world. It's a study called the Farming Systems Trial, and it's uh, run for 40 years. And in that 40 years, we've proven through research and hard science that organic agriculture actually performs about the same with conventional in terms of yields. Mm. So sadly, but the reality is that most farmers are graded on one thing. So conventional farmers are graded on how much stuff can I produce Mm -hmm. yields? Well, when you look at organic systems and compare them to conventional, guess what? Conventional farming does out, does, does outpace organic in terms of yields, yields in the first few years. So -hmm. our farming systems trial, the first five years, conventional was definitely winning the, the day, but over 40 years as soil health improves, which doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. organic and conventional about are about equal in terms of yields, except for guess what, when there's a drought, mm-hmm. which as we're going, moving more, more into an uh, insta- instable era of climate, we're, we're having more years of drought, or if it's not drought, then it's extreme rain or these extreme weather events. Mm-hmm. Organic systems are way more resilient. They out yield organic up to 40% in those years. Uh, while using 45% less energy climate, uh, while sequestering way more carbon, while um, producing more nutrient-dense food. Mm -hmm. And then the best part is um, we are helping a farmer earn between three and six times more profit. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me the question, Jeff, could organic agriculture feed the world? My answer is how could it not? Mm -hmm. How could it not? And and that's where, and that's so organic agriculture is really the farming of the future. It's farming for a better planet. It's farming for healthier soil, cleaner water, cleaner air, less carbon in the atmosphere. And it's, a, it's our path forward. And I, I've never been more thrilled. Our work has accelerated unlike any other time in our history, just in the last few years. And in recent months, we've been on several phone calls with some of the leading uh, representatives and senators in the United States who are doubling down on a pathway around regenerative organic agriculture. So um, I think the time is now for this movement. And how would I, like just a regular person, support a local farmer? What, what would be like my chain of action to say, do I like go to my local farmer's market and say, what are you using or how do you cultivate your land? Like what are the actions that I can take locally? Yeah. Well, first of all, this is for everybody, Jennifer. Everyone participates and that's the beauty of it. As we as, we as consumers get more involved in this notion of agriculture as we get more curious and we, we join in the dance and we begin to participate in this act of farming, we can actually demand the kind of planet we all want to live on. So it is a law of supply and demand. You know, today, total U.S. organic market share is like something like 6%. So 6% of all food at the grocery store is certified organic. There's economic theorists out there that predicted uh, that when the market gets to 15%, that's the tipping point. Mm. And how are we going to get there? Well, the market grew by 14.5% last year. So organic food sales were up 14.5% year over year. So we're creeping towards that 15% total share. Mm. And the way we do that is, number one, we, I think of it in terms of concentric circles. So you're living in New York City. The first question you should ask yourself is, what could I grow on my windowsill? What could I grow on my fire escape? Like just growing something, a basil plant. Mm-hmm. It does something to you. It connects you to biophilia. It connects mm-hmm. you to nature. 
if I understand it, um, the word biophilia is a desire to commune with nature. Well, when you stick that basil seed in some healthy soil on your windowsill and you watch that miracle unfold over several mm -hmm. weeks, and then you snip a few leaves off and you put it on, you garnish a pasta dish with that. It does something to your heart. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like concentric circle one. Next step out is, um, well, I travel a lot and that basil plant might die. Well, great. There's probably a green market on 14th street that you can go to on Saturday or Sunday and mm -hmm. you get to know a farmer. You get to know just one person and you build a relationship with them. You ask them about their farm, ask them about their soil health practices, ask them about, are they a regenerative farmer? Are they a regenerative organic farmer? And you, they, you will never find a group more proud to talk about their craft mm -hmm. than a farmer. And so I love to build relationship with, relationships with farmers. And then the next concentric, concentric circle out from there is, um, what's the local co-op that I can join? How can I keep my food dollars in the, in the greater New York metro area? I want to make sure that the farmers surrounding New York City are getting my food dollars. And then when we do that, we build more resilient food communities. Then we don't have to become so reliant on international supply chains and we get to reward farmers in our backyard. You know, mm -hmm. in World War II, during the World War II area, some 45% of all the produce consumed in this country came from our own backyards. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah wait, 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 wait. Gardens, right? That's amazing. Victory yeah. Victory yeah gardens. So half of the produce in this country was grown in our own backyards. Um, Pre-pandemic, 17% of all the food purchased at the grocery store was imported from other countries. Wow. wow. So if you think about it, we've been oh on like gosh. a 70-year march away from source. Mm. And now it's the simple things of growing some something on your windowsill, having a relationship with a farmer that you you visit every Saturday morning on 14th Street. Yep. It's the sort of ricochet effect of that that changes the world. It changes the way we have it changes our our global supply chains, it localizes our food systems, it creates better more, more resilient food economies, it connects us with nature. We don't have to turn all of our neighborhoods, I'm sorry, all of our farmland into neighborhoods because we, the more we devalue farming, the further we get away from nature. And that's, that's, that's the path we've been on, but we can, we can reverse that by turning inward to that first concentric circle. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I love what you're saying. It's very much this sort of unifying power of food, right? And, and, you know, all of us have to eat, right? So in a, in a sense, I mean, you do hear this, like we can vote three times a day or more possibly, you know, on what we want to do and what we decide to put in our bodies. Right. And so I always believe that it's like by sharing the information is the first step, right? Because you can't unlearn what we've talked about today. Exactly. Once you see, you can't unsee. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And I think, you know, um, that sort of rural and urban communities, linking them together, right? You've talked about this a lot, Jeff, right? So we're reliant on each other, you know, and really understanding the benefits of both. You know, so much of the country, we think of this as a divide, mm -hmm. but it's really a way to connect. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. We meet our brother and our sister at the table. Um, I don't care what our differences are. One thing that binds every one of us is food. To your point, three times a day, we, we consume food. And what's been, what was interesting, and I certainly don't want to go down a political 
rabbit hole here, but you think about the divide we all just um, lived through during the, mm-hmm. the sort of political show that we all just observed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and I, and I'm from Pennsylvania, I'm from a rural part of Pennsylvania where Rodale is based. And um, I relate to both rural and urban environments. And so you, you, you go into these rural communities and they have felt forgotten. Mm-hmm. They have felt abandoned and they have felt devalued. And then through my work at Rodale Institute, you know, we've recently formed a pretty significant partnership with the largest commodity producer in the world, Cargill, which is a bit controversial that why is Rodale working with Cargill? Well, because they're the biggest processor of grain in the, in the world. And they have a desire to go organic because that's where the market's going. Well, guess what? The number one barrier, why do farmers not go organic? It's because they don't have commitments from producers to give them long-term contracts. They need food producers committing to that. Um, they need technical assistance. And that's what Rodale is doing. So Cargill and Rodale have teamed up and we're going to trans and through a food company called Bell and Evans, we're going to transition uh, hundreds of thousands of acres over the next three to five years, primarily wow. in the mid in the Midwest and the Northeast. Uh, Farmers of 150 grain farmers that have 150 or more acres can qualify to become a Rodale Cargill um, mm. partner, and they will get free consulting from Rodale through through the Cargill program. We'll hold their hand and help them be successful in their transition. And then, because of Bell and Evans and their buying power, they're going to Cargill is going to be able to offer a five year contract to these farmers at a very mm. healthy rate. Fantastic. Now, a farmer's like, wait a minute, I get Rodale, the, the, the global leader in, in organic, teaching me how to do it. And Cargill, the biggest commodity per- trader in the world, is going to commit to me. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I go organic? And so, all of a sudden, the 32 year old tech entrepreneur that walks into a Whole Foods in downtown San Francisco that wants to see organic chicken on the shelf mm-hmm. is reliant upon his brother in the Midwest who's living in rural America who almost lost the family farm. But because of that 32-year-old tech entrepreneur demanding chicken, organic chicken, <laughs> right. everyone wins. Sure. Right. They both thrive. They, they both get healthier. The water gets cleaner. The air gets cleaner. We, sequ- we sequester more carbon. The farmer gets to save the family farm. And guess, guess what? Farming's fun again because I'm making money now. And, and, and there's a, there's an economic ricochet. Mm -hmm. So if we could all come together around a table and realize we can put our differences aside and realize that we need each other to eat and to live on a healthy earth, that's the world I want to live in. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, and it, 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 just to touch on like climate again, because I am sort of fascinated by the concept of drawing down carbon right in the soil um, and or not releasing it in the first place. Right. Um, are there is there data on something like that where if you are converting, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres from conventional to organic, um, you know, the soil health will be better. Are, are there numbers to share or, or is anybody studying like how much carbon benefit yeah. that is sure we should put a link in the notes but um rodale institute came out with a white paper last year called the uh, uh, regenerative agriculture a down-to-earth solution it's a basically it's a white paper that it, it's a it's a it's a culmination of years of decades of science at rodale that has proven that if we were to transition all of u.s farmland so just farmland in the united states mm-hmm. And again, this is a position paper. It's not like 
I, you know, it's not like this is going to happen overnight, but if mm-hmm. in theory, not, not in theory, but through science, we've proven that if America was to take all of its farmland mm-hmm. currently, transition it to organic production, mm-hmm. we would be able to sequester all of the world's carbon emissions in U.S. soils. What? Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so that's, that's not, that doesn't mean that doesn't take into account solar wind, Sure. All the other climate measures, you know, all the, the ways that we're improving our buildings and our infrastructure. That doesn't, that takes, if we were to do nothing else, if we were just to change the way we farm in this country, we would be able to sequester all. I mean, that's where our, our that's carbon belongs in incredible. the soil. Yeah. No, it's exactly where it belongs. That is wild. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll definitely pull that paper. Yeah. And then the, the, one of the last things I want to ask is um, um, I've, I've been hearing, you know, sort of percolating and I, and I just haven't dug into it too much that some, um, and I don't know who who's paying them, but I've heard that um, farmer, there's this conversation about we could pay farmers to sequester carbon you know, when they're farming and, and maybe I'm doing a kind of a loose translation of that, but, but what's going on there? That sounds like a brilliant idea. If I'm a farm, you know, an organic farmer, I'm thinking, well, that's a great way for me to make a few extra dollars. Right. Um, Or am I, am I simplifying it too much? (laughs) You're not, you're not. And there's a lot of people that would agree with you. I think at Rodale Institute, we're a little concerned with that model. And the reason is Monica is because Rodale is focused on practices, not outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. we have to find a way to reward farmers for producing food. Mm-hmm. That's where the, I mean, if you, you, you it, carbon should just be icing on the cake, but, um, the whole purpose behind the regenerative organic certification mm-hmm. is, is that it's a, it's a practice based standard. Um, if mm-hmm. you want, if your whole goal was to farm carbon, well, guess what? I live in Pennsylvania. Um, about an hour North of me is the coal regions. We, we actually mine a lot of coal. Um, right. in theory, in, in theory, a farmer, and there's always a farmer, there's always a person, I don't care what business you're in that finds a way to cheat the system. So if the, if the only intention of a farmer was to sequester carbon, I can go find a lot of coal dust and put it on my land. And by the way, I'm building, I'm still putting, I'm, I'm sequestering carbon in theory. Uh, I could cheat the okay. test. Sure. So it's not that I, as a farmer, like Serenby Farms behind us is, you know, doing organic and, you know, potentially towards regenerative farming and they will get, um, you know, kind of a credit because they can prove through their practices they've sequestered carbon. This thing that I'm hearing over here is more people are starting to, to your point, I think that's a really good differentiator. Like, oh, if you just create this outcome, I don't care how you do it, you'll get paid. It's get not paid. the it's not the other way. Through your practices, one of the benefits is you'll also get a bonus because yeah. the good work that you're doing sequesters carbon. Yes, that's exactly right. So we just we've been getting interviewed a lot by uh, legis- federal legislators and their and their 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 uh, policy teams, basically saying, "Hey, Rodale, what do you think we should be asking farmers in this country to do?" Ah. And um, what are, the answer I'm about to give you? It sounds so simple, but if we were to get farmers to do this, it would have massive impact on globally. So what we're suggesting is that farmers get paid to plant cover crops. So this is like biophilia at its core, right? Mm-hmm. So if you drive around um, most of the U.S. farmland, if you drive around the Midwest or the Northeast, or even here in the South throughout the winter months you're going to see a lot of brown, right? Can anyone mm-hmm. relate to like seeing brown fields? Um, yeah. That should never be. If you come to Rodale in January in Pennsylvania in 30 degree weather, 
you're going to see green farm fields. Why is that? It's because we we plant cover crops. Cover crops are uh, nitrogen, often nitrogen fixing, biodiversity enhancing plants that get planted after a, after a farmer harvests their cash crop, corn, soybeans, oat, wheat, oats, wheat, hemp, whatever it is. We then go immediately in that fall and we plant a cover crop. And then that cover crop gets established over the, oh, it very quickly it grows. And what it does is it holds the soil in place. Mm. It, it enhances biodiversity. It attracts wildlife. It, it builds above ground biophilia and below ground biophilia. It, it um, sequesters carbon. All those winter months, if that farm field is bare, there's mm. no photosynthesis happening. So mm. December, January, February, March, there's no photosynthetic process happening on that land. So think about the millions and millions of acres that for six months sit barren when they could be pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it in the soil. So if we got farmer, if we paid farmers to plant something green on their mm. fields all year round, that's when you can scale carbon, Monica. Mm. Wow. That's a transformative idea. I love that. I'm yes. glad that you clarified for me because again, I keep hearing this little story mm -hmm. over here, but I, that's super helpful for me to be able to better speak to it. And I, and I really love the practice versus outcome. Um, one last question and it will, well, two last questions. One, is there anything, I mean, there's a million things I know we could talk about, but is there <laughs> anything like that we haven't covered that you just want to like touch on or throw out? And then my, my real final question is like, how can we get involved? Like, how can mm -hmm. our listeners get involved? Like, what is Rodale doing? Um, like, should we sign up for your newsletter? Like what's a good action we can take? Sure. Um, I'll start with the first question. Um, one thing that I want to talk about uh, before we end is um, part of uh, the biophilic movement is, is, is about human health, right? And at the heart of who Rodale Institute is, we are a human health organization. We just use agriculture as the tool to get there mm, and soil yeah. health. Um, but we see ourselves as a human health organization. And I want to just quickly mention where what I'm so excited about when I think about our future um, is that we've begun to coalesce a conversation with the medical industry. Uh, we are beginning to work with medical doctors, and we hope to launch a first-of-its-kind program in the United States uh, in 2022. Um, and we're going to be calling them regenerative health immersions, and we're literally going to be inviting doctors to come for one week uh, and get their hands in the soil and learn oh, agriculture, learn that. soil health. Uh, we are going to build a, a yeah. medical-based uh, conference and it's going to be held on, on a farm. And um, I we're gonna, love that's that. brilliant. It's brilliant. That's amazing because they say yeah. that uh, medical professionals have like one hour of nutrition mm -hmm. and yeah, that's, that's it. Right. They never learn anything more, which blows my mind. Yeah. But we've seen such a demand in recent years and months um, uh, from the medical community. I've had the honor of speaking at some medical conferences. And when you begin to educate them on agriculture, they're like, we're not looking far enough upstream. We need to understand we need to understand farming and doctors and farmers need to be at the same table. So super stoked about that idea. Mm, and um, if anyone listening is interested in helping to support that, that effort, um, we we're in the process of raising some final funding to be able to uh, launch our first conference. Fantastic. Um, so Monica, to answer your question in closing, um, how can people get involved? Uh, we are at Rodale Institute. I'd encourage everyone listening to opt into our social um, sign up for our newsletters um, support our work philanthropically. We are a nonprofit. So, you know, you'd be amazed at what $10 a month can do to advance our mission. 
Um, if you're here in the Southeast and you're listening, come visit our Southeast Organic Center, just about a mile and a half from uh, Serenby uh, mm-hmm. over at Manifold Farm. Our team there will be thrilled to host you. And um, yeah, please join the movement and, and go back to, you know, as I shared with Jennifer, we all participate. So think right. about what, what concentric circle you want to begin with. Um, but I encourage you to get on the journey. So thank you so much for having me today. I love this view, like the healthy soil, healthy food, healthy people. It's so simple when you think about it, but you explaining it to us the way you did today really helps me uh, look at my food differently. And I thought I was like good about, you know, what I eat, but really you're hitting at home about the farmer and how we all, we can all pay, uh, be a part of um, making the planet much healthier. So thank you for your time today, Jeff. We really appreciate it. The joy, Jeff. I get to see you a little bit later this week. So I'm kind of jealous, by the way. I'm kind of jealous I'm not there at Sir and B with all of you. I know, Jennifer. We, I, know, I know. I got a house for you. <laughs> you too. Uh, and, and, and Monica, excited to hang with you in a few days. And Jennifer, we're 90 minutes from Midtown Manhattan. So you can come out anytime you want. I would You'll love come. to. Okay, let's we'll split us. on it. Fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. awesome. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Jennifer, that was so great. I feel like I'm pretty familiar with this topic, but I still learned a ton. There are multiple things that really blew my mind. Same. Like if all the farms in the U.S. went organic, we could sequester all the world's carbon. I mean, what? (laughs) I know. It was really insane. And then his whole conversation about cover crops, and that's something I wasn't really aware of either. It's just one way to protect soil health, and that leads to healthier, more nutrient-dense foods. I had never heard of this before, but it makes so much sense. When you think about it, I mean, healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. I know. And when you look at organic regenerative farming over time, there's a real competitive advantage versus conventional methods. And it's much better for the planet and for us. I know, I know. So the other thing I loved were the concentric circles that Jeff talked about and how just planting a basil plant on your apartment balcony, joining a local co-op, these things can have a huge impact on connecting to the food you eat. Right. So those small steps that we can all take do have a big impact when they're all put together and replicated by lots of people. We can't dismiss those small acts and how they shift our habits and mindset. So how to get involved? One of those things Jeff mentioned was following Modell across her social channels, and all of those links are in our show notes. And if you're able to support Rodale with your dollars, that also goes a long way. And look out for the Regenerative Organic Certification. We have another link in our show notes that will help you find some brands you can feel great about supporting. Exactly. Be an informed consumer. That's right. Because once you know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. Until next time, Jennifer. All right, Monica. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.